the Lord is speaking to us uh, about holiness. And he started this, this conversation about holiness by convicting me of um, lacking holiness in certain areas of my life. And, and he did it by sneaky getting me to a scripture and then showing me that that scripture represented my problem. And the prayers that I was praying was for the power of the kingdom to be true in the church like it's true in the word, like it was true historically with the early church. And what he's showed me is that a lack of holiness on our part is the issue with regard to the power. It's not, it's not the only issue. The next one is that we're going to talk about is an issue as well, but, but it's a huge one for us, and I'm going to demonstrate it to you in Scripture. So today, what, um, what I want to show you is that as Christians, we live below our privilege, that there is a privilege that was purchased for us. It, it was a very expensive cost that was paid for our privilege, and, and, and if our privilege is here, we're living down here. And the second thing that's lacking is our witness that our witness is lacking our witness should be the very witness of jesus he said um to go get the wait for the power the gift of the father the the baptism of the holy spirit in which will be given power to be my witness and the commission the the great commission is a commission where we would represent jesus to the world and, and we do, except we don't do it fully. We present them with our mouths, but not with the kingdom necessarily. Now, that's a pretty broad brush that I'm painting with, and it's more or less true in different places and with different people. But in general, and certainly with us, I think you would agree that the full witness of Christ is not in our witness to the world. When we walk up to them and they're in a wheelchair and they say, well, listen, you know, I'm not real interested in your thing. Would you be interested if you weren't crippled anymore? Well, that might get my attention. In Jesus' name, why are you still crippled? Well, part of the reason is because we've chosen the world over Jesus. And, and that's what I want to show you today from the Scriptures. And I don't want you to think of it like, oh, you know, there's, there's God, you know, this must be an Old Testament sermon because he's beating us with a stick. It's no. We have a privilege, a life available to us, and we have a, a mission that, that actually gives us purpose in that life, and, and we're both lacking, lacking in both of those things and that's not God's will, and there's a way to make it right, and this is where we start. Okay, so let me just quickly give you background, the mission that we have. I'll, I'll read from Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 20. I'm not going to expand a whole lot on this part, but I want it in you when we get to the part that, that demonstrates the situation. Okay, Mark 16. And he, being Jesus, said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any, any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So that's the witness that he's talking about. They're going to go out and they're going to preach the gospel. And these signs are going to follow. These are going to be the confirming signs that, that follow the church as they preach the gospel. Cast out demons. Speak with new tongues. Pick up serpents. Drink any deadly poison will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. So what he said would happen is what happened. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see that what he said would happen, would happen is what happened. But somehow we've gotten 2,000 years later, and instead of getting better at it, we've gotten worse at it. Because he said, you'll preach the gospel. We're not that great at preaching the gospel, but at least we use our mouths. But the confirming signs and wonders aren't there, generally. So the how of the mission, go and preach the gospel, that's talk with words, right? Some people, I, don't, I forget who they attribute this to, some Old Testament guy, or old, not Old Testament, but, you know, St. Augustine or somebody, you know, said, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. That's wrong. The gospel is words. You preach the gospel with words, and you confirm the gospel with the demonstration of the power of the kingdom. So we go out and we speak, and we go out and we demonstrate. 
That's the full presentation and the representation of Jesus. Okay, so that's our, that's our mission, our privilege. In Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it's one of the most awesome messianic, Jesus being the Messiah, messianic prophecies that you find in scriptures. Reads this way, 4 and 5. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. If you look at the word grief and you look at the word sorrow in the Hebrew and how it's translated in other places, griefs is only, that word is only translated to griefs one time and it's here. Every other place, and there's like 25 of them or 27 of them that that word shows up in the Old Testament. It, it references sickness, disease, affliction. So why they chose in the New American Standard to use the word sick, uh, griefs instead of sickness, I don't know, but that's what it's saying. Surely our griefs or our sickness, he being Jesus, Messiah, he himself bore, and our sorrows or pains he carried. Yet ourselves we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being or our shalom, that's the Hebrew word behind well-being, fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed." So what is our privilege? You can see a huge uh, demonstration of it just in these two verses. Jesus was uh, scourged for our healing. Our sicknesses and our pains he carried. And I've I've taught on this before, but just remember, in in Matthew chapter 8, he heals all the sick people at Peter's uh, mother-in-law's house. He casts out all the devils, the people bringing their demon-possessed people and their sick people to Jesus. He performs all those signs, and then it says it was to confirm what was said by the prophet Isaiah right here. So we know that this is more than just when we go to heaven, we won't be sick. When we go to heaven, we won't be sad. When we go to heaven, we'll know we're saved. It's for now. The, the atonement bought us privileges that are for right now to demonstrate the kingdom now and later, okay? So if we're sick, we're not supposed to be. There's a reason. We can pray. It says if you're sick, call the elders of the church, have them anoint with you, you with oil, pray a prayer in faith, and the one who is sick will be made well. We don't need to be sick. The power of God that raised Jesus from the dead resides inside of us. It wants out so that we can demonstrate the kingdom to the world and we can live up to our privilege. We get to have shalom. It says by his chastening, we have our well-being. That Greek or Hebrew word is shalom. We have soulish peace. Our soul should not be tormented. We have that. It was purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. And then, not finally, but it says that um, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So uh, transgressions would be the outward act of sin. Iniquity would be the in, inward you know, thoughts and, and, and propensities towards sin, all that was paid for. In the church today, mostly that's the only one we talk about. You can have your sins forgiven if you'll repent and believe. But what about this other stuff? What about it for our privilege? What about it for our witness? Look quickly at Jesus' own ministry and what he did. Jesus is speaking to people. And many of those people are pushing back on what he has to say. And he says to them in John 14, 10 through 12, he says it also in John chapter 10. He says, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Right? He called himself the Son of God. They said, "Uh uh-uh, you're a blasphemer. You call yourself the Son of God. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That's what Jesus says. Believe me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. If you can't believe what I say, believe what I do. I preach, I demonstrate. Truly I say to you, here's where the conviction comes. Truly, truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. So he said, listen, if you believe in him and you believe in the works that he did, greater works will you do because he goes to the Father. What's the implication there? Because he'll send Holy Spirit, the same power 
that empowered him doing the works is the same power that empowers us doing the works. Believe that I am in the Father, Jesus, and the Father is in me. John 14, 20, in case you think, well, that's Jesus and the Father. In that day, you will know, Jesus speaking, that I, Jesus, am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's the same relationship. There's no difference in relationship. And if you say, well, you know, well, maybe it's not that day. It is that day. We don't have to wonder when that day was. I, I studied this to try to figure it out, and, and the theologians are, disagree with each other. But nobody disagrees that that day is this day. So it's probably the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and descended on the disciples, and they were then empowered to be Jesus' full-on witness. In that day, you'll know. They knew because they had the power of the Holy Spirit. They'd been baptized. They'd gotten this gift that was promised to them, and then they went out and they did the stuff. They preached the word, and they did the stuff. And as we saw in Mark, it was confirmed by the Lord. He did the stuff through them to confirm the words that they were preaching. Okay, um, the first disciples, the very first disciples, in Matthew 10, 5 through 8. These 12, this would be the original 12 disciples, Jesus sent out after instructing them. So he's about to send these guys out early in the process. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, all those other things. Freely you receive, freely you give. So then later he's accumulating more and more guys, and, and as he's going, he sends out these 70 to go out before him. This is Luke 10, 8 and 9. He tells the 70, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick. Time passes, time passes, time passes. Preach the kingdom, 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 preach the kingdom. He's like, where's the heal the sick? Where's the cast out the demons? Well, it doesn't work anymore, God. So, so then parts of the church create whole doctrines to try to explain why it doesn't work. Well, that was just for apostolic times when Jesus was establishing the church so that people would know, and then the rest of us could just believe it because it happened 2,000 years ago. Go talk to somebody in San Francisco and try to get them to bite on that hook. They're not interested. Go tell the lady in Africa that didn't have a calf, and after like four minutes of prayer had a calf on her leg that wasn't there before. Or the guy with the dead parallel, uh, paralyzed sh- uh, whole arm and shoulder that was waving it over his head, that God doesn't do that anymore. Who does it? The demons? I mean, thank you, demon. That's awesome. I have two hands instead of one now. It's the Lord. It's the kingdom. It's on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to make like, um, what sound like absolute statements. I don't mean them to be necessarily absolute blanket statements, but I'm, I'm, they are true statements, and they're substantial statements, and, and I make them because I want to make a point. Our privilege, what makes us different from the world, sickness, pain, sorrows, and grief carried away by Jesus. Sin, transgression, iniquity, forgiven. Living a life of shalom, peace, um, soulish wellness, soul, heart, or excuse me, mind, will, and emotions. Serene, calm, peaceful. That's our privilege. And the power to bring these about through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See, we, we have not only the privilege to live this way, we have the privilege to be God's witness, to be an ambassador for Christ out to this world in the same way he was, we have, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his gifts. Our mission, preach the gospel to all creation and Demonstrate the power of the kingdom through the gifts of the Spirit. Both require the power or the grace. That's an important word for later, grace. Both require the power or the grace of God and fellowship with God to be fully realized. So if we're outside of fellowship with God, we're not living in our privilege, and we are not being effective in our mission. If we're living outside the grace of God, we're not living to the fullness of our privilege, and we're not living to the fullness of our mission. Okay, so now this is the scripture. This is the scripture that God sent me to when he was trying to demonstrate 
my lack of holiness. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 7, 1. And sometimes when you see these things, you can hear God speaking to you. So I'll read the beginning as it is, and then I'll, I'll read it how he spoke it to me. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. The context, Father God, Lord Jesus, where is the power in my ministry? Where is the power in my own life? Where's the power in the church? When we gather together in your name, your word says, but it doesn't happen, Lord. You've got to show me because we're, we're all a bunch of fakers right now. God, where is the power? And then I get some kind of thought about something and I go looking for it. I, I put in my little searching thing and it brings me a little bit above here and I'm reading to try to find context and all of a sudden the Lord speaks to me. And here's what he says. My mouth has spoken freely to you, Pat. My heart is opened wide. You are not restrained by me, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in a like exchange, I speak to you as a child. Open wide to me also. See, I, I sit with the Lord two plus hours a day. He seems like he's always on my mind. But my affections were not wholly set apart for him. So I would entertain myself with unholy things. You know, lest you think I'm looking at pornography or watching X-rated movies, I'm not. I'm watching the same things that you're watching. Except the Lord is showing me, these things that you entertain yourself with, I hate. There's, there's unmarried people having sexual relationships. I mean, you're not watching the actual act, right? You know, you close your eyes and you wait for it to end. And when the music changes, you open your eyes up and you know, we're on to the next scene. But I'm not supposed to be anywhere near that stuff. There's people being murdered, 10 guys every episode. You know, bang, bang, bang. He hates murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments, don't murder. Yet I'm entertaining myself. I'm defiling myself with these things. And, and I've been, and I'm not jamming on anybody, but I've been raised in a culture, and I've been raised in a church that doesn't tell me that those things are bad, that I'm just like everybody else. But the Lord says they are bad, and they are unholy. Go on in 2 Corinthians. Do not... Uh, do not be bound together with unbelievers. He gives some examples here. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or another name for Satan, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of God with idols, for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, now you're going to hear about promises. Here's some promises. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So he makes these promises, and he says, now what you'll find out in a minute is the come out from is the world, right? We are planted in the world. God wants us in the world, but he wants us in the world as light to the world. He doesn't want us in the world as world to the world. So when he says come out, he's telling us to come out from how they are and be separate. They can touch what's unholy. You cannot touch what's unholy. You leave those things alone. They've made no commitment to Christ. You have made a commitment to Christ. Don't touch what's unholy. He goes on then to say in the next verse, Verse, therefore, having these promises, the promises, I will be their God and they shall be my, my people. I will dwell among them and walk among them, be a father to them, daughters and sons to him. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Sometime before holiness is done, we're going to have a message on the fear of God. It's interesting how he ends that verse. It's not like, you know, sit in the chair and, and just wait as I cleanse you from all defilement. My fleshly passions are not dead. They need to be crucified. They need to be denied. He's given me the power to do those things. He's given you, if you're born again, the power to do those things. But it says cleanse yourselves. We have to actually go do that. And he says do it in the fear of God. That's a pretty powerful statement. I don't know what your perception of the fear of God is. Some people don't even want to say it. They want to change the word to reverence. And the reverence, because you love God so much, that's a great reason to do it. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying fear of God, okay? All right. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He says that um, we should not defile ourselves, flesh or spirit. The, the word defile means to sully, to mar, or to spoil. 
to desecrate or profane something sacred. He just told us we were something sacred. Remember what that is? The very temple of God himself. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. It, when the temple was the temple in Jerusalem, right? Only one person could go into the place where God actually dwelt. And he could only go one time a year. And if he didn't do all the things that he had to do to prepare himself to go in there and then immediately sacrifice blood on behalf of his own sinfulness, he would just die. He would be unworthy to be in the presence of God and he would die. We're not to profane or desecrate the temple of God by how we live our lives. Defilement, desecration, it, it reduces or it can even eliminate something's effectiveness. So in our case, it would be our effectiveness for the Lord, our ability to have nearness to the Lord. And the example that popped in my head when I was thinking about it is gasoline. I can go to the gas station. I can put like that four-buck-a-gallon, 94-octane rocket fuel stuff that they sell in my car. And it'll make my car spin like a top. It'll just go like crazy. But if somehow somebody puts water in that gas and I put it in my car, if there's just a little bit of water, it, it'll pop and sputter, but, you know, it might get me somewhere. If I got to push on the gas real hard, you know, because of semi-trucks, I might get hit by the semi-truck because my car can't function well with defiled gas. But if there's too much water in there, it won't even start. The gas will have been so defiled by the water that, the, that there can't be any um, explosion in the cylinders that would actually cause the car to run. It's the same true with us, and I'll show it to you. I'm going to take just a quick detour into the gifts because they're important to, the, for, to me demonstrating to you, proving to you why what I'm telling you is true. So 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, let's talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God, who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation, I'm speaking to the church here, those of us that have the Spirit, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I want you to remember that. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Think about that. The Spirit actually manifesting himself for the common good. When Patty gives a word in tongues... It's a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When somebody gives an interpretation, it's the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When somebody's got a cold or a sickness or an, an infirmity, and we lay hands on them and declare them healed in the name of Jesus, and they get healed, it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. Manifestation of the Holy Spirit. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the, the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing, the, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. The gifts are what's missing in both our privilege and in our witness. There's two things that I want you to notice there. The first is, when, they're, when they occur, they're called the manifestation. I beat that one pretty hard, but the manifestation. When they occur, when they happen, they're the manifestation, not of some kind of strength that I would have or you would have, but the manifestation, the coming out of the Holy Spirit that's in us. And the second thing I'd want you to notice is they're distributed by the Holy Spirit as he wills. So then the question might be, if the gifts are not manifesting, maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't will. But that's just not true. What is true is that they don't flow through dirty vessels. That he doesn't choose to put his spiritual gifts to manifest himself through a nasty, dirty, unholy vessel. And here's the proof text. Okay. Go like this. Get yourself ready because you're going to have to listen close and think hard as I go through this. It's James chapter 4, verses 4 through 10. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to expound on it um, kind of chunk by chunk. James, God, right, God, this is God-breathed scripture through James, what God is saying to the church. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Let that soak in for just a minute. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He, God, 
jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. So let's just go back and, and tap this verse by verse. He starts off calling the church adulteresses. Everybody know what an adulteress is? No, it's only the women that are bad, right? Not, he didn't say adulterer, so the guys must be okay. The guys are not okay. It's someone that would cheat on their spouse. It's, it's literally someone who's made a vow of, uh, you know, I, I will keep this one and this one alone until death do us part, that, that's vowed themselves. That's what we've done to Jesus. And he says, you're just an adulterer. You're an adulteress. You're cheating on me. You're unfaithful to me, you adulteress. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? And if you do that, you make yourself an enemy of God. So then the context of all the rest of this is about us having friendship with the world. Now, now what's the world then, right? Well, it's, it's when I watch Netflix. I mean, and this is like, this is baby world compared to a, a lots of stuff that's out in the world. But when I choose to watch on Netflix things that God hates, I'm participating with the world. And I'm saying, God, you're my enemy, or I'm your enemy might be a better way to put it. And I'm demonstrating hostility. See, we think, ah, you know, it's just Netflix. It's just broadcast television that you can binge on. No, it's not in God's eyes. It's filthy. It's all those things that he hates. And here we are swimming in that pool. Or not you maybe, but me, swimming in that pool. And, and you can't think that he's like just going to turn his head like I close my eyes when the bad parts come. I'll just close my eyes and it'll be okay. But I know what's going on. Oh, I caught the beginning. I didn't quite wait for the music to change. Caught the end. And I'm watching what God hates. I'm, I'm, I'm immersing myself. I'm swimming. I'm soaking. I'm pickling in poison. Yeah. Yeah, because he loves me. And he has a, he has a purpose for my life that, that's being hindered because of that. Okay, so just be sure. <laughs> Sorry about that. Be sure we understand when we go, you know, like R-rated movies, PG-13, my gosh, you know, what they think is appropriate for a 13-year-old isn't appropriate for any Christian to see. Verse 5. He jealously desires the spirit that he's made to dwell inside of us. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the gifts of the spirit, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit? God is looking at Christians, and he's saying, I put my spirit in there. I never get to see it. I never fellowship with my spirit. He's stuck in there. He can't get out. He wants to heal people. He wants to demonstrate the kingdom, but he can't get out because the, the vessel's all gummed up with nasty, unholy stuff. He says, God jealously desires the spirit that he's placed inside of us. That's what I think he's talking about. Next one, he's opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. So when we say, God, I mean, we don't ever say this, right, because then we'd be really convicted. But when we say, basically, God, you know, I'm just going to have to trust that you're going to be okay with me doing things that you hate. What is that? Is that humility before God? It's pride. It's, that's the essence of biblical pride. When, when uh, your son or your daughter, you know, does something great, they get a 4.0 on their report card, and you tell everybody, or you got the most beautiful two children, equally beautiful two, top-of-the-shelf top kids, and you want the whole world to see how beautiful they are because you're so proud of them. God's not got a problem with that. That's goodness. But when you say, God, listen, I understand this is your command, but I'm going to do something different, and you're just going to have to be okay with it. That's biblical pride. I'm going to worship me instead of you. That's biblical pride. Understand, when we exhibit pride before God, he's opposed to us. He's not neutral towards us. When we want to be his enemy and hostile towards him, he's opposing us. We're not getting close to him. He's opposing us. But he gives grace 
to the humble. So for us to be effective in anything, for me to love my wife, for me to even worship God in a way that's meaningful to him requires that his grace, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to flow requires his grace. When does his grace flow? When I humble myself before him. So I'll come back to that. He's opposed to the proud, grace to the humble. Lord, where is the power? Well, there's no grace, Pat. How can there be no grace? Well, because of your affections. says next, submit, draw near to God, then God will draw near to you. How do we do it? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What's the double-minded? Got to get this. The double-minded is I can have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. That's the double-mindedness that he's talking about. Earlier, he said that James, God through James, said that a double-minded person should expect nothing from God. Well, I was double-minded. And guess what I was getting in the area of the power of the kingdom? Nothing. Ten years, ten years after we went to Africa, in those ten years, I've seen less kingdom power miracles through my personal life ministry than I would see in two weeks before that. I mean, not that they've totally dried up, but I mean, it's a substantial change. And, and so is my life. I, I, would have think, I would think to myself to be more holy, but I'm not more sacrificed. I don't hardly fast anymore. That's, that's a whole other sermon, though. That's not today. Sorry. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. The outside is the doing the hands. The inside is the heart. God doesn't measure your hands so much as he measures your heart because what comes out of the heart is what's going to come on the hands. So cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. If you think that you can be effective in the kingdom and that you can live to the privilege that God's given you with a heart that wants to be in the kingdom and in the world, it's just deception. And, and I know it's true because we prove it every day because the power of the kingdom is very small manifest in the church right now. He says, be miserable, mourn and weep. There's a cheery scripture. <laughs> hey, all you church, be miserable, mourn, weep. Why? Because you've been, shown, <laughs> you've been shown for who you are. Remember, he loves us. He wants the best for us. He wants us not to get to heaven and have nothing. I mean, it's going to be glorious, but, but he says, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. He wants us to have glorious treasure in heaven. He wants everything to be the maximum that it can possibly be in the fullness of our privilege, the fullness of our witness, and the fullness of our eternity. But he's shown us for who we are, adulteresses. That's the word he uses. That's the word we should hear. Separated from God in fellowship and effectiveness by unholy worldly affections. And then at the end, and this is one that was very interesting to me, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Exalt means to be raised up, to be lifted up, to be exalted. You know, you, you use words like that for a king and for somebody, you know, very special, to be exalted. I think that exaltation is tied directly into grace, that he will pour that grace that's necessary for us to live to our privilege and to serve to the fullness of our calling. Okay, so what's the point? He will exalt you. Is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, both fulfilling privilege and empowering mission. In God, excuse me, in pride, God opposes us. In humility, before him, God gives grace or empowerment. Grace is what empowers everything in the kingdom. When we look like Jesus at all, it's because of grace. When we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds, it's because of grace. Grace is the empowerment of the kingdom. It flows through the Holy Spirit. Here's the key. Remember in 2 Corinthians, God through the Apostle Paul said that he gives gifts to everyone, gifts. The Greek word, now the, the Blue Letter Bible pronunciation of that word is charis, but that's hard for me to say, so I'm just going to phonetically say it, charis or charis. That's the Greek word, excuse me, the Greek word for grace, where we see God gives a greater grace, he, he opposes the proud, but he, he gives grace to the humble, that is charis or charis. That's the Greek word. Then when you go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and you see the word gifts, 
right? The gifts are word of wisdom. Now, they're, they're probably more than this. This is a list, but it's not all the gifts. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. That word, gift, is charisma. It's the manifestation of charis or charis. C-H-A-R-I-S, grace. C-H-A-R-I-S-M-A, gifts. So when he says that he's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and the, the expression of grace is gifts or charisma, can you see the connection between when we walk in pride before God and we say, no, you tell us that we shall be holy as you are holy, but we, we choose to entertain ourselves with things that are unholy, the music we listen to, the things that we watch, the, I mean, there's so much more, but you've got to start someplace, right? That there is no cherish, there's no grace in pride. But when we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, that's what I did. I, I don't watch Netflix anymore. I don't watch those shows anymore. I don't touch them. There's so, I, I'm hoping that football is not one of them. But I watch football and I see commercials for movies that my flesh would love to go see that movie. But I'm just not going to. Because I know that there's going to be something in there that's going to be defiling to my flesh or spirit. So I'm not going to touch it. I'm going to be separate. I'm going to not touch that which is unclean. And I know, I know that if I will humble myself before the Lord, he will give me grace, cherish. And in that grace comes charisma, gifts. No grace, no gifts. No cherish, no charisma. No holiness, no grace, no gifts. There's a direct correlation that he's showing us in uh, James chapter 4. So if we want the charisma, and oh, I pray that you want the charisma. Seriously, I pray. Jesus said, pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself and follow me. This is exactly what he's talking about. He said, unless you, and then he makes all these things that seem like, wow, that's pretty demanding, Jesus. You can't be my disciple. Why? Because grace won't flow there. And, and his disciple is to be full of charisma, full of gifts, full of dunamis, full of exousia, power and authority over all of nature because he's given it to us. And he wants to see it. God says, I'm jealous for the spirit that I've placed inside of you. Come out from among them. Don't touch what is uh, unholy, what is unclean, so that he can get out because he doesn't flow through dirty vessels. So here's, here's where I'm going to ask you to start. Now, listen, some of you may have already had this revelation, and you might be walking, but there's two manifestations of God in his body. There's, there's the manifestation that comes through me as me, but there's the manifestation of him that comes through us. That's why the, speak, the, the scriptures speak to unity, one spirit. Matter of fact, if we went to 1 Corinthians 12, we could see where he says that. It, it's, we're to be in one spirit, one mind, all aligned with Christ through the Holy Spirit. One, not separate, not with different doctrines and different, all these kind of things. We're to be one. And then as one in holiness, when we come together, then the power is magnified because not everybody's going to have every gift. Nobody gets to boast before God. Matter of fact, if you happen to have the coolest gift, like you have the gift of miracles or something, and you could go to somewhere, and the tsunami wave is coming. They knew it was going to happen. And it's like 150 feet tall, and you could stand and tell it, stop. And it would just freeze in the oceans. You're nobody. Because you don't boast in gifts, right? You only did it because somebody gave it to you. As fast as they give it to you, they could give it to somebody else. So we never boast in gifts. We just humble ourselves that God would choose us as a vessel that could bring about his righteousness in this world through the power of God himself. So here's where we start. Luke 11, 33 through 36. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. Understand that that it's, it's, it's metaphorical, and it'll be more clear with the rest of the scripture, but essentially, you're like this wick 
you know, and your, yourself as a candle with this highly volatile wick waiting to be ignited, right? So that your light will be broadcast. He goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. So then the question is, what is it that's igniting our wick, so to speak, metaphorically, so that if we are filling ourselves with light, real you know, light, kingdom light, things that are true, godly things, scripture, then, then the light that comes out of us is beautiful. It's light. We emanate light. But if, if we're filling our eye gate with darkness, guess what's inside of us? Darkness, right? If I said to you guys, I've never eaten a donut in my life, you'd call me a liar because the fruit of donuts is all over me, right? Probably a bad metaphor again or a bad example, but, but the point is um, another scripture, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. So, so if the company we're going to hang out with is darkness, guess what's going to happen? Darkness. It's, just, it's like gravity. You can't make it be different. That's why we gather together. We pray over each other. We soak in the presence of the Lord because we want the light that's in us to be light and not darkness so that the light that comes out of us is light and not darkness. 35. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If, therefore, your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If, therefore, your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined as when the lamp illuminates you with its rays. I don't want you to I don't want you to respond out loud. But I know if I'm you sitting in a chair and somebody else is me sitting up here, I'm having a really hard time hearing you tell me what I should watch and what I shouldn't watch, what I should listen to and what I shouldn't listen to. But I'm not telling you to. Matter of fact I took a scripture out. It says the one who rejects these things doesn't reject you, Pat, but they reject me, God says. And I'm not telling you, if you want to watch Netflix, you can't go to heaven. If you want to listen to, you know, what God would tell you is filthy music, that you can't go to heaven. But I'm not so sure that if that's the pattern of our lives, once he's illuminated that to us, that it's going to be much fun when we stand before him and give an account for our lives. And I could probably show you scripturally where if that's the pattern of our lives, probably he's not in us anyway. If we're not convicted by these kinds of things, then the absence of the conviction may be the absence of our actual salvation. All that aside, when we came to the Lord, we made a deal. He offered us eternal life instead of eternal wrath of God. He offered us abundant life instead of worldly life. What he asked from us was two things. Repent and believe. That's it. It's big, but it's it. Repent. Don't be a pal with the world anymore. Those things which I wouldn't do, you choose not to do. And you trust that I was fully acceptable sacrifice to my father for your sins. So we said that, right? I did. But then I didn't do it. I mean, to some extent I did, to some extent I didn't. But as we are being sanctified, set apart, made holy by God, for us to say, well, you know, Pat, it's, you know, it's a bummer for you that you shouldn't watch Netflix, but he hasn't convicted me. I'm convicting you right now. The Lord is convicting you through my words that those things which he says are unholy, he says, separate yourself. Do not touch what is unclean. And I promise you by the scriptures that we will walk as vessels power 
we will demonstrate God if we choose to with the words of the gospel and with the power of the kingdom. And when we lay hands on Keith, his back gets healed. When we lay hands on John, his back gets healed. When we lay hands on somebody who's tormented and depressed, the demons go. And I'm not telling you that you're demon-possessed if you're a Christian and you're tormented. But I'm telling you those demons have no place and they have to go when the charisma, the power through grace of God flows through a clean vessel. I'm also telling you that you're not likely to ever be a perfectly clean vessel, but what did Jesus say? Greater works than these you shall do because I go to the Father. Honestly, I'd be happy right now for some. Seriously. I mean, seriously. We have it. I mean, we're getting some words of knowledge. We're getting um, tongues with interpretations. Um, matter of fact, Patty, I don't mean to out you, and I'm not going to ask you to get up, but she made a comment at Bible study this week. She's like, some reason I can't connect with Holy Spirit the last three Sundays at church, and there's been no flow, right? Now, I, I'm pretty sure it's not because of you know some terrible unholiness in her life, or you know maybe you got something you need to repent from. I don't know. But it could be the collective that's been in the room the last three weeks have something to do with it. So if, if this is grinding against you, I'm asking you to open the word. I'll send you my notes. I will sit with anybody. I'll sit with everybody. I'll cancel racquetball to sit with you to talk about this such that we can actually fulfill our calling and we can walk in the privilege. Wouldn't you hate to be Jesus? The Moravians, Teresa, is one of her favorite things. Are you familiar with the Moravians? There are these people like, uh, I don't know, hundreds of years ago that were in what's, I think, today Germany, but then it was, I don't know what, it wasn't called Germany. And they were Christians. And they would, like, go out as missionaries. Matter of fact, they had, you know, the IHOP in Kansas City, I don't know how many, 15 years, 20 years of nonstop prayer in their prayer room. Prayer and worship has been going on nonstop. The Moravians did it for 100 years. Within their fellowship, there was never a moment for 100 years where there wasn't prayer and intercession going on. They would send their missionaries out. And one of the stories talks about their missionaries going into the Caribbean, like, you know, the Bahamas or, you know, that had been settled by, I don't know, the British or the Spanish or the Portuguese or somebody. And the local natives didn't know the gospel. So they asked the slave owners, because they were made slaves. They asked the slave owners if they could go and just talk about God to the slaves, and they wouldn't allow them. So you know what the Moravians did? They gave themselves to be slaves. Talk about not having a life. They gave themselves, they gave away their whole life and said, I'll be your slave to get on the other side of the wall so that those people that were on the other side of the wall could hear the gospel. And their saying was that the lamb should receive the reward for his suffering. So here's Jesus, whipped senseless, gone through how I can't even imagine the wrath of God for all of mankind, for all of eternity, poured out on the Son of God in such a short period of time. I can't even imagine what that's like, but it is. And here he is in heaven, and all these people are, are stuck in the bondage of sin, and they can't get free because the church decides that R-rated movies are more important than defilement is more important than. When you go to the person and you say, <laughs> you say to them, hey, could I talk to you a minute? Sir, what's your name? My name is Keith. Oh, hi, Keith. My name is Pat. Um, have you ever heard the gospel? I don't think so. Could I share it with you? Okay. All right. Well, you're a sinner, and you're, <laughs> you're yeah, I'm, I'm abbreviating. You're a sinner, and because of your sin, you're damned by God, and you will spend eternity under his wrath in hell, tormented, weeping and gnashing of teeth, all this kind of stuff. But if you give up your life, you know, like all the stuff you like, you quit doing it, and all the stuff you want, you decide you don't get, a, you don't going to have anymore. If you die to yourself, if you all this kind of stuff, he'll pay for your sins with his very own life. You can be free, and you can go to heaven instead of hell. He's like, well, I don't sound like very cool. How do you know? I said, well, I got this book. And he's like, well, that's cool. My buddy's an atheist. He's got a whole bunch of books. No, but my book says this. He's like, well, that's nice. You got a book. So what? Appreciate you telling me that. Well, hang on a minute, Keith. Somebody told me that you can't hardly work sometimes because your back hurts so bad. Do you believe that if there's a God, he's bigger than nature? Well, if there's a God, I imagine so. Has anybody been able to heal your back? No. If I ask God to heal your back and he heals it, would you listen about Jesus some more? And all of a sudden, his constant pain is gone. Why? 
because charis, charis, grace, manifested in charisma, gifts, God was proven to be who he said he is, and now this soul that's going to go and burn in hell that Jesus paid for, he paid for it. He got whipped for it. He got crucified for it. He bled for it. He got tormented. He was spiritually, I don't even know what all this stuff was. The lamb, if we don't come into the fullness, our culture could care less about our book, seriously. They could care less. They got their own book. Guess whose God is in, in their book? Them, their own self. But you want me to not be God of my life? You want me not to be concerned with a nice house and a nice car and good vacations and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, that's what I'm offering you. Yeah, close your book. Thank you very much. <laughs> right? I mean, it's silly, and that's what the Bible says. But what if they were confronted by the power of the kingdom, not just the words of the kingdom? They might still walk away, but some of them wouldn't. All right. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Anything that's obvious, right? Sexual, foul language, massive violence, any of those kind of things. Be separate. Don't touch those things that are unclean. I'm just talking with your eye gates and your ear gates right now. That's what I'm telling you. That's just God using me. Start there. Any of that kind of stuff. You know what it is. If you don't, it's not hard to figure out. Right? Things that God hates, he hates murder. Mm. I think he hates car wrecks. Mm. Sex outside of its proper context. Mm. I don't think he wants us watching it even in the proper context. So if they're married, you still shouldn't. I'm asking you to take God at his word, to do what you said you would do when you made that confession of faith and watch what God does. Because he's told us in the scriptures, if you're proud... No charis, no charis, no charisma, no charisma, no gifts, no gifts, no power. And guess what? That's what we're experiencing mostly. But he said, if you'll humble yourselves before me, then comes charis, grace, manifestation, charisma, gifts, power, holy smokes. I can't imagine anything could be more fun than that, even more fun than Netflix. Amen? Okay, so if you want to push back on me, I'm humble. If you want to test, I mean, there's so many more scriptures we could go into. I'm humble. Please don't be afraid to come. It's that important that we get this, okay? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, and your word is true. Lord, we apologize, and we ask for a spirit of repentance to come in this place, that we might be empowered by grace to actually repent from touching things that are unclean, from defiling ourselves through our eye gates and our ear gates of those things which are hateful to you. Lord, that we would choose to, the solution that would pickle us would be the Holy Spirit, would be your presence, and that in that pickling process we would come to be more like Jesus. We don't want to be pickled by the world anymore, Lord, because uh, bad company defiles good character, corrupts good character, Lord, and we want to be the character and the image of your son. So we thank you. We invite your presence to come. We humble ourselves before you.